doing this series called This Coming Kingdom. And it's really look at the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as it's called, that Jesus talked about a lot in the Gospels, where he, he kept telling us about this whole new world order, this new way of doing things that he was bringing into the world. So uh, in the news um, in the last couple of weeks, there was a uh, remarkable story from a courtroom, from a, a court case uh, that, that was about a, a police officer in Dallas, Texas, who had shot dead somebody who she thought was an intruder in her home, but was actually her next-door neighbour. She'd walked into the, the wrong flat and had shot him dead. And he was an accountant who worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers in Dallas, Texas, and the, the, the trial was sensational. You may have seen it all over social media a couple of weeks ago because she only got given 10 years prison sentence for killing somebody full blood dead, you know? So, whatever that phrase is. And uh, in the courtroom, outside the courtroom, there were protests at the leniency of the sentence. But after the sentence was done, her brother stood, took the platform and he said, I'd like to address the defendant, please. And he's 18 years old. So anyway, in this remarkable thing, he basically takes the stand and he says to the defendant, he says, I want you to know I'm not going to hold this against you. I forgive you completely. I don't even want you to go to prison. I love you because Jesus has forgiven my sin and I know he could forgive your sin as well if you let him. It was a remarkable act of mercy. And then he says, could I please hug the defendant? And she nods and says yes, and they just embrace and weep. And it's a remarkable uh, moment of reconciliation and forgiveness. It's quite incredible. It's quite unlike other instances where you might see. And, you know, I, this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is a kingdom where mercy is celebrated over justice. And if we're going to be people of this kingdom, followers of this king, then we need to get used to this idea that we might love justice. We might love the idea of wrongs being righted. But fundamentally, we understand this. But God has forgiven our sins, and that makes us mercy people. This kingdom is all about mercy. I was reading something about this generation the other day. It was a marketing report that the marketing companies were talking about, uh, Generation Z and how to market to them. And they said this thing, although this generation is the most accepting generation ever, anything goes, and, and you can do anything and be accepted, the one thing you can never do is do something that can't be forgiven. So they said, if you do anything that tarnishes your brand, forget it, your brand is over because nobody will ever buy your stuff again. If somebody is standing for political office, we all know the deal. All you have to do is find a tweet they did from 20 years ago and everyone says, well, no matter, they clearly think that way even if they've changed their mind, that's clearly so embedded in their heart that that's who they are. We're a very unforgiving generation. So therefore tonight, this is radical teaching that Jesus is bringing, that we're to be those who forgive. In fact, even uh, Greta Thunberg, who's in the news a lot at the moment, these are her words. She's doing a remarkable thing for climate change, calling the world to an emergency, saying, hey, we must change our ways. I agree with that. But she uses these powerful words. She says, we will never forgive you unless you meet these demands. That's hefty words to say. And Jesus would say, well, that's not my kind of kingdom because actually I'm the kind of king who forgives people when they do things wrong. So tonight we're learning about him. 
This coming kingdom is not like that. This new world order started by Jesus, embodied in his church, is where forgiveness is celebrated. You and I are people. We often hear the, the, the phrase sometimes, you know, you've got such potential in you. You ever hear that? You know, we're human beings, we've got such remarkable potential. And we do have remarkable potential for good. We also have remarkable potential for harm and hurt. In fact, here's what I'd say. Any of us in this room, at different points in our lives, have the potential to hurt and be hurt, to cause pain and receive pain. In fact, all of us will. Some of that hurt is deliberate. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have a need that we needed to be met and we hoped somebody would do it and they didn't and it wasn't their fault, but we received that hurt anyway. I'm thinking of the time when uh, Jesus didn't make it in time to heal Lazarus when he was sick and Martha and Mary, they come to me and they say, Jesus, if you'd come, he would not have died. They were hurt. Jesus didn't deliberately hurt. He didn't sin. He never sinned, but that hurt existed. Now, if you're a Christian here tonight, if you're married or single, if you're carrying any kind of leadership responsibility at church or at home or at work, then part of the territory of your life is this, that you will at times hurt and cause pain to other people and you will be the recipient of pain and hurt as well. So Jesus tells this story to help us understand and to get it, to understand how we can forgive. And here's the very simple story that somebody owes a ridiculous sum of money. In modern terms, I was calculating, this is a real maths kind of parable. You can do all the sums, you know, the 70 times 7 and the denarii and adding it all up. Anyway, somebody, it's 20,000 day laborer's wages. In modern terms, it's three billion pounds that somebody owes. He's got himself into serious debt and he goes to his master and he begs that he'd have a bit of more time to pay it back. And the master says, cancelled. It's a remarkable, remarkable act of mercy and forgiveness. And as he cheerily goes on his way down the road, he sees an old friend of his who he lent £6,000 to. And he says, you owe me £6,000. Give it back right now. The guy says, please give me a bit of time. He says, no, no time. You are coming to prison with me and we are going to have you go to the debtor's prison until you pay it all back in full. And then the original lender, a king, holds that man to account for his lack of compassion and forgiveness. Now here's where it fits for us. In Christ, God will never hold us to account for our sin. It's remarkable. Even though we have all done enough things wrong with our lives to ensure that God should send us to an eternity without him, we should pay the cost of that. But for the person who asks and says, Lord, would you please forgive me? He's glad to just wipe the slate clean. We could never, ever achieve that by ourselves. But that same God holds us to account if we, having received that gift, fail to extend that same grace to others. It's a family value in the family of God that the Father expects to see in his children. Fundamentally, this parable teaches that grace to others flows from personally understanding and experiencing the grace of God. I wonder if you're experiencing the grace of God tonight. 
the forgiveness of God, the love of God. I, I, I love the grace of God. I love it because I do stuff wrong in my life. There are times when I fail. There are times, I was just thinking the other day, there was things I was, some things I was thinking about and I thought, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've failed in these areas and I was thinking over those things. I was feeling guilty of those things. And then when that happens, the enemy loves to come and sit on your shoulder and start whispering in your ear, say, yeah, it's even worse than you think. And it probably is. But then the grace of God whispers in my other ear. And he says, it's all gone. In fact, there's an old hymn that came to my mind. It says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Isn't that amazing? All of our sins, past, present, future, gone. Gone, totally gone. We get to go to be with Jesus forever, living freedom from guilt forever because of Jesus. And... He then gives us that grace so that we might extend it to others. How do we forgive? Well, in Jewish thought, when, when Peter asks this, uh, this question, which might seem odd to us, how many times shall I forgive my brother? 70 times seven. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, seven times. He thinks he's doing a good thing because the, the, the Jewish teachers of the day were saying, if you forgive somebody three times, you're doing a good job. So he says to Jesus, I'm better than the teachers of the day. I'll forgive people seven times. If they wrong me seven times, I will forgive them. Jesus says, 70 times seven, that's 490. But you could say actually he was just saying a bit of an infinite type number. Let me give you five tips because this stuff is hard, isn't it? To forgive those who hurt us. Let me give you five things. Don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it. If you disperse it, God will reverse it. Okay? You ready for this? (laughs) Don't curse it. So this man in in the story we read, he retaliated. In fact, he didn't actually beg for mercy in the first place from the original king. He he actually begged for an extension of time. He thought somehow his six billion pounds would get paid back if he just had a little bit longer, if he just had another extension. So therefore, he didn't have a grace mentality. He didn't understand the nature of being forgiven everything. And therefore, he saw somebody and he thought, I'm going to retaliate. I'm going I'm to demand back what he owes me. It's so easy to retaliate when we're wronged. When you're hurt, don't retaliate. Don't repay wrong for wrong. The Bible says in your anger, do not sin. Nothing wrong with getting angry when somebody hurts you. What's wrong is to, is to use that anger to hurt them back. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, this is the thing that stops us retaliating. They're not our battles, they're God's battles. One day God will judge and bring to justice those who hurt. Here's the second thing that we're to do. We don't rehearse it. It's so easy, isn't it, when we get hurt to just go over it again and again and again. Sometimes I can find myself having just yet another conversation, with an imaginary conversation with that person, as if they're in the room, and I'm thinking, this is, this is what I'd say next time. This, is, this will make me feel better if I said these words. Don't rehearse it. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. 
Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Job 5 verse 2 says, Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. Who does resentment affect most of all? Me. Me. Therefore, don't rehearse it. We must bring our stuff to Jesus. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Here's the third thing. Don't nurse it. Don't develop a victim mentality. Don't go down the line of this sort of thing always happens to me. Don't find people who you know will simply agree with you and and mollycoddle you and just exacerbate the sense of hurt you're feeling. But here's the wonderful thing. The good news of Jesus says to hurting people, be healed. He says to those who are weakened through pain, be strong. It says to those who are struggling, you have a new identity in Christ. And that's who you are. He endured pain for the sake of the joy set before him. And you're in Christ. Therefore, there is joy set before you when you experience pain. Therefore, we don't look at the pain. We look at the joy set before us. We don't nurse it. So there's the three don'ts. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. Don't nurse it. But this is what we must do. Disperse it. We forgive again and again, three times, seven times, 70 times, seven times. Any time a wrong that somebody has done to you, you forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pray that God helps you to move on and to forget. There was a character called Joseph in the Old Testament, and he became a hero of the people of God and of the whole world at that time. And He experienced a lot of pain in his life. He was thrown into prison. He was rejected by his brothers. He was falsely accused. And by God's grace, he remarkably ended up in a position of power in Egypt. And it says this about him in Genesis 41. It says, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, who his wife bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn son Manasseh which means forgetful. And he says, For God has made me forget all my toil and all of my father's house. Here's what God did in him. He caused him to disperse all of that grief and all of that sin that had happened where he'd been wronged in the past. And he said, I've got a baby boy here and this is helping me forget. God will bring you into seasons of your life that help you forget about previous sorrowful seasons. God brings about healing experiences in our lives that reduce the pain. And here's the last one. God will reverse it. Uh, it, Again, Joseph, his pain became the doorway to his greatest purpose. In Genesis 50, he said to his brothers, whom he'd met for the first time after many years, and they were terrified that he might punish them from his position of power and seek revenge on them. And instead, he extends forgiveness. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God reverses the pain and he writes a new narrative with our lives. Tonight, if you're somebody who is forgiving and moving on from pain, then God uses, uh, God reverses it and writes a new narrative with your life. Let me ask you, who's the loser in this parable? 
There's two, actually. One loser is the guy who owed the £6,000 and ended up in prison because somebody wouldn't let him off. The other person is the person who'd been forgiven a massive debt of billions of pounds and yet ended up in a prison because he just couldn't forget and couldn't forgive. If we don't forgive, we hold other people in a prison of guilt that they need to be freed from. But here's the reality. We hold ourselves in prison, getting bitter, resentful, and more unforgiving. I've seen this happen a number of times where a relationship goes bad and then somebody finds themselves not even able to go to church anymore because suddenly the whole of Christendom has turned bad in their sight because a root of bitterness grows if we let it grow. The only way to counter it is to forgive. The win-win is this, is to forgive, to allow others to walk in freedom of forgiveness that you've extended to them and for you to walk in the freedom of acting like a child of God. So tonight I just want to invite you to think about that and do that and just want to take ask you to take a moment to think. It could be that even as I'm talking that you're, you're thinking about a particular relationship that you've struggled with. And this is the real stuff of life, isn't it? And it could be somebody you feel has disappointed you. It could, be, it could be somebody in your workplace. It could be a leader. It could be, it, it could be anybody. But, you know, in Christ, God wants you and I to extend love and grace and forgiveness. Lord, we just want to thank you for this remarkable thing called mercy that you've extended to us. Thank you that our sins will never be counted against us because justice was done at the cross. And Lord, I pray that you'd big that up in our minds this evening and in our hearts. Lord, you know how hard this stuff is. Lord, you know what it's like to be wronged yet you know what it's like to forgive. So I pray that, Lord, you'd help us tonight. Lord, even as names are going through our head right now and faces, I just want to pray that you'd give us courage. 70 times 7. Give us courage tomorrow when we see that same face again. 70 times 7. Help us to live out this wonderful grace, we pray. Amen.